Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 61. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. We're back here for one more episode on opportunities. This is starting to sound like one of those mastermind seminars about how to live the best life for yourself and how to like unlock your inner potential. Well, it's really easy how to do that. You just do jiu-jitsu. That's true. Have you seen Ari Bolden's new hustle? It's great. I'm intrigued. Okay, please just hold on here. Listener, please hold. I'm going to read out an excerpt for you. <clears throat> we could cut call. this out, but we won't. No, we're absolutely not. Matt, stall for time. Steve, tell the folks at home who Ari Bolden is. Okay, so Ari Bolden, I don't know if he still likes to go by that name, but that's the name that he he gave himself, and that's the name that he deserves. Ari Bolden is a very, very famous jujitsu quote instructor, end quote, um, from Vancouver Island. Uh, this is the guy that Rob Bernacki brought up a few episodes ago. It's um, Rob Bernacki's professor. <laughs> yeah, Ari, Ari and uh, <laughs> Rob, their gyms are relatively close together. So that's why Rob brought him up. Uh, but Ari is best known for creating the Submissions 101 platform. This is, I mean, if you've been training jujitsu for any period of time, you've probably seen this. It's a website with a ton of videos on there. Um, Ari was kind of one of the first main people to really make it big in terms of jujitsu online video but the fundamental problem was that he wasn't really super qualified and a lot of what he put up there was sort of mostly made up or bad information i mean i remember going on there and seeing like these crazy chokes with names like the pentagram choke or the the death star choke and it's just stuff that would never ever work and i mean i get it like you're trying to be creative i make shit up too all the time and that's cool hey he started in a time that was there really wasn't a lot out there definitely definitely and that's one of the things where like i i give him the benefit of the doubt i think that probably he was just trying to help and to provide information to people who didn't have it but the problem was a lot of that information um, was just not good information and we have much better sources of info now anyway so the thing is and again rob also mentioned this in the previous episode um ari is um now he did finally get an actual jujitsu black belt and now he's like got this weird hustle going on called first strike that he's done with some like former commando who had to resign due to like, I, I don't even really know. Uh, but anyway, there's here, here is, I'll give you an idea. He's got one of these landing pages. You know, when you go to these like skeezy marketing sites and there's like, just like a wall of text that would take you like an hour to read. And then at the bottom, they've got like a price tag or something. Anyway, here, here is an excerpt from this. It, it also goes on about like Shanghai gangsters and police tactics and stuff. But here's, here's my favorite paragraph Thanks. on the whole thing. However, there are certain tricks you can use instantly to oh, magnif- magnify your aura of alpha dog confidence and power. <laughs> 
lot and power even more. These closely guarded methods create a virtual shield around you and your loved ones and have been secretly taught to special operators, martial artists, spies, and bodyguards throughout the ages. So if you go, yeah, this is amazing. Um, he's also got a book on like advanced situal awareness and, um, it's just, oh God, it just goes on and on and on. He is a legit, well, I I don't know if you would say he, he's a cop. He's a, Ari Bolden. I think he actually is, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not even sure. I actually don't know, but I, I know that like part of what he does is he also does have this like, um, police education program where he like teaches these guys i don't know anyway teaches them the r of being alpha yeah yeah so if you um if you are a little beta bitch yeah, and um yeah and, boy, yeah if, and <laughs> like you know guys on the beach come up and steal your girlfriend all the time i would recommend you go to alpha <laughs> so you go to alphanation.com slash first strike where Ari Bolden and this other weird dude named Todd Lamb, who I believe basically specializes in teaching you how to get abs. Uh, they're going to teach you how to create this invisible testosterone shield that will. Is that what Galvao does? Uh, <laughs> invisible testosterone <laughs> shield. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's what these guys are going to actually use going forward is their, is their excuse. I was absolutely not doping. I just did the Ari Bolden first strike yeah. program and my, just, I just got jacked and my testosterone levels went through the, just went through the roof. So, USADA started testing for Ari Bolden's <laughs> alpha male <laughs> testosterone shield training. Yeah. Okay. Oh, fuck. We've, we've, let me, let me oh. see if I can find uh, one other good thing. Okay. So here's here's another. This has really gone off the rails. This podcast, <laughs> but yet this is the best one we've ever done. Here's another excerpt. How vintage World War II combatives reveal the simple but terrible effectiveness of reactive or instinctive fight skills. Over 200 years ago, the Shanghai Municipal Police, pioneers of modern SWAT who operated in what was the most dangerous port city in the world, had an important realization. Here it is: when someone throws something at you unexpectedly, what do you do? You jerk your hands up, right? You don't even think about it. This is a reactive or instinctive action, and it formed the basis for a devastating approach to violent encounters, first developed by those Shanghai operators. Um, And then it's got a picture of one, like, Chinese dude kneeing another one in the balls. And then it's got a picture of a Chinese dude, like, face-palming another guy. I hope he was accurate. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) Anyway, basically, the, the long and the short of it, I believe, is they studied these deadly killer techniques, and now these two are just able to generate testosterone shields around themselves. Um, also, on this site, there is a giant picture of a black belt with a big, like, no symbol over top of it. You know, like, we no smoking. We are real black belts. No, that's not how they say it. What they, what they say is, in the real world violent counter, a black belt may do you more harm than good. You see, martial artists assume there are rules. Even MMA has a handful of rules that need to be respected. But the bad guys don't follow the rules in the real world. So. Jesus. Yeah, it I know. It goes on and on, too, Dude, right? like, this is like... I mean, this is like a John Grisham novel in terms of how long this page is. It is like, it's ridiculous. I think my whole computer is slowing down, just loading it. So I'm going to close it now. Anyway, if you want to learn more about this incredible scam, it's uh, alphanation.com slash first strike. And if that domain name doesn't give you enough of a red flag, then check it out yourself and let me know what you think. And if someone wants to take the bullet and buy this thing for $29, I would love a review. I would love for, I mean, I would not that I really necessarily support this and want you to spend money on it, but I would love someone who's actually taking 
taking this yeah. program to tell me if like it for comedic value, yeah. please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, did, I want to know, like, did it, did you experience hair loss? Did you grow more facial hair? Did your biceps enlarge? Did you like get acne? Yeah. Did you get acne? <laughs> like, did your testicles drop a little bit? I, these things I all want to know and understand. So please do write I in want, and tell me. I want me. to be more alpha. Yeah. That would help too. so much in jujitsu. We should do an episode on how to be alpha. Do we know anyone who's really alpha who could give us good advice? I mean, I mean, you and I are so beta. Well, speak for yourself. (laughs) I think alpha just refers to like being a natural leader more than anything, does it not? I don't think it means you're macho. No, no, no. What what is strong even? What is supposed to mean is you have like confidence and you're you have like a leadership aura. But where the whole alpha thing kind of gets weird is it? I mean, it all stems from that whole thing about how like wolves have a, a pack and there's an alpha male who leads the pack that actually apparently isn't true from what i understand it's kind of a myth but anyway the idea has perpetuated that like some people are just alpha and they kind of run things and it, to some it's extent a way to like label people as their personalities i think I so think, i think there is some truth to it though like could you say that someone is whatever beta or gamma or whatever it's like I mean, no one really can put a, 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 a an absolute label on you. There is definitely you have, some truth you, to... Yeah, there's some truth to it. Like, you could have a personality where you're not a natural-born leader, but you're a very good, like, right-hand man. And yeah. that would be your Bravo, right? Yeah. And that's, that's a real thing. Like, there are guys that are extremely like effective. Like Eddie Bravo? Yeah. No, he's, he's alpha. Okay, because you said that would be your Bravo, so I was confused. Yeah, Bravo is like... That's like the right-hand man to the alpha. Okay, so Eddie Bravo is alpha, even though he's Bravo. Yes. Okay, holy shit, this episode is a waste of time. (laughs) Let's restart. (laughs) No, let's not. Okay. Okay. Sorry, listeners. (laughs) Um, This is not an April Fool's episode, by the way. This is real. That's maybe a wasted opportunity for an April Fool's episode. Yeah, so um, so far, anyway, just in case you zoned out, let's start the episode in earnest now. But yeah, the summary is Ari Bolden's thing probably doesn't work. The alpha thing is uh, a myth but it does it does have maybe you may some benefit in terms of just like labeling people because the reality is some people just do seem to kind of be more natural leaders than others that's true yeah anyway so today we wanted to talk about creating opportunities we talked in the last episode about identifying and exploiting opportunities but how do you go about creating these things sometimes when you're sparring with someone who's just really really good there is not an obvious opportunity i mean hey if someone puts their like leg out in front of you and you can grab it or they stick their arm in your face and you can drag it go for it but against someone who is just really really good and has their alignment under control sometimes they just don't give you anything and also sometimes if you're sparring up a weight class uh, you know if you're fighting someone who's much bigger it gets a lot harder to actually exploit an opportunity you know you can't maybe just can't just grab a guy's arm and drag it if he's just that much bigger or stronger than you so we want to talk about some strategies for how you can create opportunities when there aren't any readily available now of course the best strategy is just to be an alpha dog and establish alpha dog (laughs) confidence by taking this program but failing that um some other methods that you can use that's kind of the stuff that we want to talk about today are we actually going to be able to do this episode or we just killed the whole fucking thing (laughs) i don't know i don't know okay we definitely can't show our faces around victoria Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Okay, anyway, so one thing that we can use to start off this conversation and maybe get back onto a semblance of normalcy, uh, a lot of the time I find when you want to create an opportunity, 
The reason why you aren't able to do it is because the other guy is dictating the pace, right? If you are constantly the one on the defensive because the other person is always one step ahead of you, you're going to be so preoccupied with what you're doing and with just staying alive that you're not going to be able to actually create any or find any opportunities until you turn the dial and you are now the one who's back in control. So maybe that's something that's good to talk about here, Matt, when you're the one who's basically just getting punished, like you're, you're up against someone who is dictating the tempo. You're just so focused on being reactive. What can you do to get the ball back in your court? Oh God, such a bad position to be in. It's happening to me in training today too. I was sparring and I got blitzed and I was just, I got caught in one of those tornadoes where you're just constantly framing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It sucks. Cause you just can't catch a, um, a break. I, I think one of the the best things you can do is get control of their base. So mm-hmm. whether that means getting a grip on a pant leg or both pant legs, or if you can get a grip on their collar and get underneath them, cause Kazushi. Um, lately, I've been doing a lot of lapel stuff, so I like to use. The, oh, we know. Put someone put <laughs> someone in a lapel lasso and slow them right down. I think that's a great way to do it as well as as use like a an unfamiliar guard or mm-hmm. uncommon guard. <clears throat> um. Yeah, defying yeah, expectations is a good way to, to do it. Essentially, breaking their alignment is the best way, and that usually starts with either isolating a lever or you know getting some kind of grip and then breaking their balance. Mm-hmm. Um, it could also mean simply getting back to the engagement phase of guard and making enough space to reset a, a clean start. Right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, un- under a where you're under a situation where you're getting blitzed or you're under you know attack from a really aggressive opponent you got to look for an opportunity to reset um i find it's very rare that i will get attacked by a high level aggressive highly skilled opponent and then be able to just reverse them you Mm -hmm. know that's that's kind of easier to do on lower ranks but on someone who's my skill level or even higher i find that it's uh it can be really tricky because they're usually in such good alignment that that won't work Usually getting a dominant grip or a two-on-one or a dominant angle is, uh, or, or underneath them is sort of, uh, where I like to go with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that what you mentioned is a really good suggestion, which is <laughs> if you're getting blitzed, slowing things down is probably one of the first priorities that you want to attempt. Um, Pell Encyclopedia. Yeah, this is especially easy I, I mean i don't want to say easy it's a lot easier in the gi because yeah. there's just so much so many ways that you can entangle someone and tie them up and slow them down the lapel is an awesome way to do it because if you're playing a lapel guard usually you can enter these guards without too much difficulty grabbing the lapel if it's free is often pretty easy i mean sometimes it's tied up in the guy's belt but if it's dangling it's a good option but generally if you can just slow the momentum and get things back to a stable point then you can start to mount a more aggressive attack and actually get control of the pace again the problem that i think a lot of people make is they try to match intensity with intensity i mean if the other guy is dictating the pace that's not a good time to be scrambling the mistake that people sometimes make is they respond by trying to escalate and scramble as quickly as the opponent is doing I don't think you want to do that when you're losing the tempo. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, if you, you can escalate the pace, if you have the tempo on your side of the court, but if the other guy is just constantly barraging you, trying to match his speed, it seems unwise. I, I would suggest either you slow it down 
Or another thing that you can do, and you mentioned this as well, is do something unorthodox or outside of expectation. So let me give an example. Um, I used to have this problem a lot of the time where guys would do like the bullfighter pass on me or they would uh, do like a, you know, the double over pass, like wrestlers, for example, love this. Yes. And I I got really frustrated by this because guys would do this and I would just hip escape like crazy and I could, it would never work. They would just drive forward and forward and forward and I'd burn a ton of energy and we'd move about 10 feet down the mat and then eventually they would pass. Um, but taking that kind of approach where you just hip escape that plays into their expectation i found if you do something a little bit different like if you invert and try to turtle or roll away that kind of might go against their expectation and make it challenging for them to complete the the aggressive attack that they were doing so yeah sometimes just defying the person's expectation shaking it up playing an unusual guard turning the wrong way i mean as long as you can do that without getting choked out or or, you know getting caught in a a joint lock um, that kind of thing can break out of the the tempo and allow you to reset and get control yeah and what i'm i think two of my favorite answers for that example that double double overs pass that wrestlers do uh uh, the first one that is my go-to is get up always i always want to get into base Mm -hmm. i always want to get on my hand or my elbow and then establish uh, establish a frame between myself and him usually my forearm in like a collar type pattern or another option would be hitting a switch which is a classic wrestling Mm -hmm. move where you do like an underhook on the leg and essentially you switch your hip and elevate his leg as a lever and you can get on top that way so but you know it's it is a little bit more grindy i think than rather than just resetting the the distance which is a common uh answer that i would have for someone who's blitzing is just try to manage the range in such a way that you can reset and get grips and the switch is a great example of how to kind of break out of the existing pattern you basically are changing the direction of the fight so if all of that aggression is coming at you from one direction you can kind of change the angle to a to a different one and that's actually another interesting way to generate opportunities where there aren't any is to exploit dominant angles um, it is so important at all times to try to take a dominant angle and and by that we mean basically you can face your opponent most of the time that's what that means you can generate base towards your opponent you can attack them but your opponent is denied the ability to attack you usually that means they're not able to look at you i mean i don't know if there's any any counter examples to that but generally speaking when we talk about dominant angles we mean you are able to face your opponent and attack them but they are kind of forced to look away from you that's why for example taking the back is so beneficial because you can attack the person and their ability to use their arms and their legs to attack you is very much mitigated so i find when i'm sparring with someone who is just giving me nothing like i you know i'm stuck in their they're, they're stuck in my guard but i can't do anything and they're just kind of hunkering down continuing to try to force like to pull them down is is sometimes not necessarily that effective but you can start to like scooch around and maybe try to take their back or do something like that and even if you don't really have good control over them that will at least force them to respond Uh, you can you can really really put down a, a much superior opponent just by getting a dominant angle on them like even if they're a lot bigger than you getting a dominant angle can equalize yes. a lot like if you look at some of those old marcelo garcia fights when he's fighting just gigantic dudes he's always going around and trying to take their back that's basically getting a dominant angle yeah. dan Danaher always says against a bigger or a stronger opponent either try and get to the back or get underneath them mm-hmm. with like a an inside channel yeah 
type position. Um, one thing Oliver Taza showed me last time he was here that was really great. We he did a seminar at my school on open guard and basically how do you make your open guard offensive in nogi? Mm-hmm. And one of the things he showed was. You know, if, if if you're playing like a butterfly guard and your partner's on his knees and he's just basically being like uh, Paul Jarez and just like hunkering down on his knees and not letting you move him and hand fighting you to the point where you can't isolate an arm drag or whatever and you really can't do much. Basically, his what he showed was he he tries to gain what he uh, what he calls height advantage. So mm-hmm. you're almost doing a technical stand with a collar tie in hopes to. Uh, create a reaction from your opponent and this plays Mm -hmm. into the momentum and center of gravity thing if i'm gonna push into you i can expect that you're probably gonna give me force back and if i pull you down i can expect that you're probably going to try and pull yourself away right so using these predictable reactions he sets himself up whereas uh if if you can heist and get a height advantage then you might be able to start looking either for a sweep or bowling the guy over or if he tries to drive back into you you can either hit him with a, like a, a nice hook sweep like mm-hmm. a sumigaeshi or you could even possibly snap his head down into a front headlock position so he had like three or four different predictable reactions from this uh collar tie hip heist movement that creates a lot of uh basically what it it, the idea is is that it forces your opponent to react so you kind of want to uh not give them any other option but to react where Mm -hmm. it would be dangerous for them to just sit still and how does he do that by getting height advantage so that was kind of like a cool example of uh like uh, a way to create a a reaction on someone that i'd never thought of Hmm. because i had thought hey if i stand up it kind of creates vulnerability. But what it actually does is it forces him to either match your height or to try yep. and tackle you to the ground, in which case, sumigayashi. Well, it's it's just like, you know, when you're confronted with like a hyena or something, you know, you want to make yourself tall, so you stick your hands up in the air. I actually don't know if that's yeah, true yeah, or not. Is that even true? I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. On that note, do you want to have a little break and talk about this alpha nation thing again? Because <laughs> yeah. I, I have an update. So um, Todd okay. Lamb, the other guy who made this program, is a disgraced former police officer who was actually he actually resigned after the department launched an investigation on him for these ridiculous programs he made like really yeah this program is joint created by Ari Bolden and Todd Lamb and this guy looks like he was on like the Saanich police force or something and he made some like how to get rock hard alpha abs video but he (laughs) I I don't know but he he used like footage of him like firing a gun and he had like video or he had clips of like other police officers and the police department basically said homie this isn't cool and they launched an an investigation on him and he resigned before he could presumably get fired um but yeah anyway i think i think it was called like spec force alpha so this guy's got like a bunch of these hustles i just feel bad now it's amazing (laughs) depressing more than anything i know i know (laughs) this is our police force ladies and gentlemen always have his sweet sweet abs though. yeah i know i mean i i am kind of envious maybe if i sign up in this program i'll get those amazing amazing abs I hear the program boosts your test. Yeah, I know. So I've heard. So I've heard. Um, Okay, so another thing that I want to talk about this actually more more on topic. That's a really good point about dominant angles. And this is something that I learned a long time ago as a smaller guy. When I'm playing guard against a bigger guy who's sitting in my guard, I cannot always like 
force him to come down to my level. I cannot always pull him to the ground. But one advantage that a smaller person does have over a big person is the ability to level change much faster, right? Doesn't If you're a lot bigger, it's going to be harder for you to do like a technical stand-up or a technical sit, right? Whereas if you're a small person, you can switch that level so quickly. And one thing that works really well is, like you said, make yourself taller. If the other person is down low and you do a quick technical stand-up and now you're on top of them, you've created a dominant angle where you can actually sometimes get right you can either force them into being on bottom in guard or you can force them to turtle when i'm fighting a bigger guy and i'm able to get on top this is normally how i do it it's not that i hit some sweep on them it is i suddenly level change and then i am up high before they can get up high and they cannot react quick enough so either they go into turtle or they're forced backwards into guard Um, i find as a smaller guy you know even if you're very efficient with your sweeps it's hard to load someone's body weight up on to you and, and turf them um, but it's a lot easier to just get up and get up faster than they can get up yeah. so something to think about that's a good way to make openings especially if you're really frustrated with someone in your guard and you just can't get a lever you can't break their posture consider just like bailing and then standing up some advice that i give to my students is to remind them there's no rule when you're sitting down that you need to sit there. Like we, we kind of get blindness to this where we're playing guard and we kind of forget that like there's no jujitsu rule saying that you have to sit there and play mm-hmm. guard. If you can get an advantage by just sitting up, getting up before before your opponent, that's totally fine. And that still counts as a sweep from what I understand, right? If I just do a technical stand up and I push you over and now you're on the bottom, I believe that's two points. Yeah, like one of the classic examples of somebody stalling or just, shelling up is like when you mount them and then they, mm-hmm. just, they just take their hands and do like the home alone you know yeah, and yeah. Then they just which is don't move you know that that is such a stupid strategy and I, of course everyone does this at some point because most people are taught to do this and it's like in judo if you lie belly down and just wait for the referee yeah yeah sad. my instructor eventually gave me shit for this because i mean i i was taught when i was a white or a blue belt that you know when someone mounts you you bring your hands up and you do the home alone so that you don't get choked but something that my instructor eventually pointed out is look you're not getting out of there by doing that. Like, yeah, you can sit there and maybe slow down the choke, but you're not actually defending with any meaningful purpose. Like all you're doing is making it marginally more difficult for the other person to attack you. And all that means is instead of being stuck, there getting choked for 30 seconds. You're going to get stuck there getting choked for two minutes. Like every defense that you employ needs to be with the intent of getting you out of that position. So I, I don't like defenses where you just basically shell up and do nothing. You need to be always looking for a way to advance and escape that position and get back to a better spot. Uh, There's never, never that I'm aware of a good situation where that kind of stalling is smart unless of course you're running out the clock yeah exactly there might be a situation in a competition where it makes sense to stall to run out the clock Mm -hmm. but in general it's not really a good strategy and it's not it's it 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 basically shows you don't have answers um you know unless you're head on points or whatever but even in the gym don't be that guy that's just Mm -hmm. (laughs) taking it rob calls it taking it your ball and going home the best thing to do of course is if you are that guy then you need to, while your opponent is mounted on you trying to choke you, you need to continuously lecture them about what they're doing wrong. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that That is, by the this way, like... never going to work. <laughs> no. no th- that is the ultimate, like, high-level way of saving face when you're, like, a black belt is when the blue belt mounts you and is kicking your ass. You yeah. just kind of stop the roll and just explain to them why what they're doing isn't going to work and finish the fight while they're kicking your ass. And then you can claim the higher ground. Yeah, when people do that, like, home alone shit or they just shell up and they mm-hmm. don't do anything... 
generally I'll just start attacking their face. <laughs> I am aware. I am aware. I just so, put my chest and my gi right on their face and I just force them to frame because yeah. if they don't, they can't breathe. Yeah. And <laughs> so one thing to bear in mind too, face. like if, if you have someone on your back and you want to try to just shell up, just be aware because I've learned this the hard way. There is no rule in jujitsu preventing the other guy from just cranking the fuck out of your nose. <laughs> and that's actually, I actually saw, uh, you know, I'm not sure when this episode is going to be released, but the fight to win was on the other mm-hmm. night. And Lee, Michael Liera Jr. from uh, from Logos Jiu Jitsu, originally Atos Jiu Jitsu, um, did basically tune this guy within a minute, pulled guard, took his back, and then immediately his once he took his back, he just took both of his hands, clasped them together in front of his head, and just pulled them straight back. Oh, and yeah. the guy the guy was covering his neck, but <laughs> the hands went right into the oh. bridge of his nose. And from there, the, the choke just opens up because obviously if someone attacks your face, you don't have the ability to stop a choke. You know, your, your posture is so broken and you're so shocked that your face is getting attacked that you quite often will leave your neck open. And yeah. You'll, and you'll see a lot of the uh, the Danaher guys will start reaching across the face to create such reactions, you yeah. know? It's, if you're playing a gentlemanly style jujitsu where you're not going to be touched, there will be no touching of the face, yeah. you know, no no cranking of the neck, then yeah, you can just do the home alone and you're usually not going to get God. choked. 10 years from now, that's every- why I just crank the face. <laughs> 10 years from now, every jujitsu practitioner is going to look like Voldemort. Like in addition to having the cauliflower ears, there's going to be no no Yes. You know, maybe, maybe that's the next like competitive advantage is people just start cutting off their noses so that they can grapple better. Yeah. It's like yeah. Nicky Rod said, if <laughs> he said one day, he's like, Hey, Danaher, I don't know about all this straight jacket control stuff, but if I get it under his eyebrows, I'm putting that motherfucker to sleep. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you know what? At the highest, at the highest level, you do see that a lot, especially yeah. in like a, an ADCC or a tournament where you're allowed to basically face crank the entire face. Like IBJJF, I don't think you're allowed to... I, is it I'm below not, the, the, the nose you're not allowed... Or above the nose you're not allowed to? I, I actually don't know, but this is Some an important rules. thing to, to understand <laughs> if you want to talk about creating opportunities is, again, tying back to win conditions. Like, know the rules of the game because the problem is there are some things that, that we don't do not because they're illegal, but because they're not considered good etiquette, right? There, some some things are illegal under certain rule sets. Like if yes. you knee reap an IBJJF, that is illegal. But some things are, although not nice, they're, they're not technically illegal. And we get used to training without doing these things mm-hmm. because we've been told that they're not, it's not nice. And we're probably right that it's not nice to do so. But there are situations where someone can like crank your nose, right? I mean, in a competition, you can just ghee burn the guy's face. Like you can, there's a lot of things that- It's even worse. Yeah, there's a lot of things that you can do that are totally legal. And if you train in, a, in like a gentlemanly way with like the Queensbury rules of what's okay and not to do in, in jujitsu, then you're going to create- create this uh basically a hole in your game where you're not you're not using these things i mean i i remember i've trained with guys before too where i've kind of forgot that oh yeah they can actually just like forehead or nose crank you and you know i go and i pull turtle as i do and then they nose crank me and it sucks <laughs> yeah, um, so understanding what the rules actually do and don't allow is a good way to create opportunities because <laughs> if there's something that's effective and your opponent does not realize that you can do it then that's always going to be a competitive advantage yeah. And, you know, there's lots of situations where baiting can create opportunities. Like uh, sometimes when I'm on the back and I'm trying to look for chokes, I will sort of leave my hands 
as mm-hmm. almost trying to play mental games as if my hand is coming from the side and they can feel it, they can see it, they have to react to it. Otherwise, I can gain control of their wrist or I can get like a, across their face or whatever. And then just from there, just create reactions until the neck becomes open. Yeah, um, yeah. Baiting and also, I, you know, in a situation where you have mount and they're shelling up, I think making your your opponent uncomfortable as you can by breaking their alignment is a really good choice too. Like, yeah, just taking the fight out of them basically by just making life suck. Like, yeah. that's an interesting thing, right? If you, it doesn't matter how composed you are and how experienced you are, everyone has a limit in terms of what they're willing to tolerate before they kind of go into panic mode. You know, there can be a very, very high level seasoned grappler, but man, if you mount him long enough and you cut off his oxygen, like eventually he's going to start making stupid mistakes. So that's another, another thing to do as well. But uh, to your point, another solid strategy across the board is to mask your intentions, to just make sure that it is not totally telegraphed what you want to do because so many moves in jujitsu become harder if your opponent knows and can brace against it i remember uh, you know black belt gary right there's a guy in vancouver who's very well known a little asian dude named gary who is a, a black belt i used to train with him a long time ago back when i was a white belt and i remember one time he said to me uh, you know steve you're telegraphing everything and at the time i i didn't think much of it um but because i, I kind of thought you know being a stupid white belt at the time well when i get good enough at jujitsu it won't matter if i telegraph things because i'll be so good i can force them to happen i'll be alpha yeah i'll, I'll be alpha like my, i will have like so my like invisible testosterone shield is going to be so <laughs> thick like i won't be able to get through customs at the airport yeah. um, no but I, I mean i used to have this mistaken conception that like the thing that made you good was that you could force things to happen but i realize now that the thing that makes you good is you can flow through through these scenarios and create opportunities for good things that will happen you don't try to force something that's just not there so it's so important to mask your intentions right if you just grab the guy's arm and you're clearly trying to armbar him he's going to be able to defend but if you grab your arm and he thinks you're trying to armbar him but you're actually not and you're baiting him and tricking him that's a very very good high level strategy yeah and that all comes with time in terms of predictable reactions and chaining together attacks and having multiple dilemmas at the same time. I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the most useful things you could do. Like take an example of like uh, a situation where you're combining multiple systems, like a crucifix, you know, you're on the Mm -hmm. back, you might be attacking an arm bar or usually a Kimura or even a triangle. It's like you're giving the guy the choice, you know, do you want to get arm barred or do you want to get choked mm-hmm. you know or do you want to get kimura'd or and 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 then there's not you know you can just switch back and forth and go th- flow throughout the systems as long as your position's good enough and the guy can't move you know that that's usually my crucifix game and just keep attacking if i once i feel that you know i'm going for the choke and i feel that he mounts a good defense i switch off to the arm and i start attacking the arm now and then back and forth back and forth um another example of uh you know it's time it's time for me to do my uh, you know, my, my usual episode, uh, fillet of Keenan Cornelius's lapel encyclopedia and just mention how he's been doing something that's really cool. And like, honestly, so simple that I can't believe, uh, I never really thought of it. And that's, he's taking his, um, all of his lapel positions and he's basically adding something called worm wrestling, which is basically where whatever position you have, whether it be like a squid guard or a worm guard, you essentially just take your leg out of the quote wormhole 
and then come up and wrestle with the lapel between the legs. And it's like super effective. Is that the same as the dental cloth thing? Essentially, some positions it is, yes. But he's he has made all of his trademark positions, like the worm, the reverse Della worm, the, the squid, all that stuff. And now he's basically adding the concept of the dental cloth to that. If, mm-hmm. For those who don't know, dental cloth is a term that I heard Cyborg created. I've seen him do it maybe 20 years ago in an instructional, and it's like a half guard technique where you just pass the lapel through the legs. Been around for decades, super effective still to this day. And Keenan's basically taking that concept and he's m- finding different ways to do it within his system, and it's super effective. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a squid guard on someone and then you take your leg out and you turn the corner and come up and double leg the guy. It's like damn near impossible to stop. Yeah. And then the great thing that he's doing now is he's now he's doing what what's called platinum passing, which is what he calls his lapel passing. So he'll have that grip that he got you. He swept you with. And now he's using it to pass your guard. He just never he's like a monkey with his hand to the cookie jar. He never lets the lapel go once he's got it. Well, yeah, like once you have that lapel, you can basically frame the guy's leg to the ground. And then he has a variety of different passes and grips and stuff it's super cool like he's he's it's a really cool program um but yeah like just that could be an example of creating action creating opportunity when the guy stifles you because a lot of people have the ability to once they get caught in a worm guard they can't really stop it like they can't Mm -hmm. they can't easily escape once it's set up but they can base out yeah they can stall so a good answer for that is worm wrestling so there's there's two good mental models there that you discussed one of course is the concept of a dilemma uh the word the word dilemma what it basically means is you someone has two choices and they both suck <laughs> and in in the context of jujitsu i mean john danaher very much popularized this concept and that's so critical if you can give your opponent the if you force them to choose between two different options both of which are bad and you are ready to act on both of those options you're in a, a very very good state i'll say this i actually heard ryan hall say it first uh, maybe he did. I mean, neither of them invented the word dilemma, but where I invented dilemmas. <laughs> Keenan invented worm guard. John Danher invented dilemmas. They never existed yeah. prior to every- people didn't have dilemmas. Yeah, people John people did Danher. not have dilemmas until John yeah. Danher invented them. It's like right. he opened Pandora's box and dilemmas came out, and that's why the world is the way it is today. Uh, the other thing you talked about there too is that. Um, you mentioned that Keenan is wise enough to abandon that technique when it's not working and immediately switch to something else. Mm-hmm. I think a big part of where people get stuck is they have something, they want it, and they don't realize that they would be better off abandoning and moving on to something else. That's very much a junior belt mistake. They will try to insist on something that isn't there. And a lot of the time, the key to really creating good opportunities is to know when it's time to give up your current attack plan and move on to something different. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that takes, again, experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you want a story? I mean, of course. Yeah. Okay. They, I have a child's mind. Obviously, yeah. I want a story. They just laughed when this pencil necked little guy planted himself between two massive thugs and his wife. But within seconds, nobody was laughing anymore. This guy, Steve, and yes, they use the name Steve, had both his aggressors stunned on the floor, wondering what had happened while he quickly pulled his wife to safety and got the hell out of there. Yet he had never trained in martial arts, and his only belts were for holding up the pants of the suits he wore to work every day. So how did Steve, a short, skinny, and kind of flabby guy who doesn't work out, fuck, it's like he knows me. Can I guess? Yeah, and who has never stepped foot in a martial arts studio, lay out these two aggressive guys twice his size. Can I guess? Yes. 
he's alpha. He's fucking alpha. <laughs> he's alpha man. I, I mean, I've been telling. Yeah. So this this is like the this is the version of Steve that I need to be. This is of course another lovely excerpt from this wonderful site. Like if I were to sit here and read this thing <laughs> in its entirety, if is I were to, supposed to be a real story, it I don't know. I it's, I, it's, I think it's one of those marketing tricks where you like you tell an emotional story and then people will be invested and they can project themselves into the character. Um. And anyway, I don't know. I, I'm amazed that they actually use my name though. So I feel kind of like this is really tailored to me yeah yeah i mean they're, they're describing me to a t so except that i do at no martial arts and i don't buy into this crazy program but otherwise it's basically me did you beat up two dudes i can't even beat up one dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, i'm not nearly alpha enough for that um what are we talking about oh you know, yeah rory has a submissions 101 rash guard Rory has, you know what? And he wears it. No, I actually, <laughs> I'm, awesome. I'm not surprised because I know yeah. Rory has talked in the past about how before he knew basically how the world works, he was like a submissions 101 fan. And yeah, totally. Yeah. Then he kind of outgrew that. So, yeah. although apparently he didn't outgrow the rash guard. Because Ari used to be 10th planet, right? But then it, even I, Eddie Bravo was like, look, dude. I, I don't You're too crazy for me. Yeah, I don't know exactly what happened. Ari, I think he I may be wrong. I think he I was. Think he was but then when he finally got his black belt, it was from Keith Owen, right? Yes, Master Keith Owen. I actually don't know much about Keith Owen except that people are always pooping on him. You know, you guys, you should be looking up Ari Bolden's brown belt test on YouTube if you can. Is there a video out there of that? It's amazing. If it, if you can find it on there, it's Ari He goes by Ari K now. I think it's Kazarian. Is that what he calls I, his last name? I saw the name somewhere on this giant but website. Before he changed his name due to fraudulent behavior, <laughs> I think he went by Ari Bolden. And there's a video of his brown belt test publicly on YouTube. It's amazing. It's basically a kata with like street fighter music. And there's like neck snapping. And it's just, and Keith, and Keith Owen is just like, oh, like all over it with his little clipboard, just. Huh. marking it <laughs> it's awesome i kind of hate martial arts sometimes if i told oh, you that God. like it's martial arts i i love jujitsu but martial arts are also so stupid in a lot of ways oh, he's, doing, he's doing these ridiculous sequences that are basically a blend of japanese jujitsu yeah. and brazilian jujitsu mm-hmm. like it's it's it, none of it is stuff that you see at the highest level mm-hmm. and there's a room full of like kids watching this test and like other part students. of history and they're just like they're just applauding <laughs> Ooh, ah. Like, oh, God, some of the moves are, are really bad. But yeah. anyways, if you guys want to lose 10 minutes of your life, check it out. It's yeah, awesome. you've already lost 40 minutes of your life because of the <laughs> stupid podcast. So yeah. that extra 10 minutes is not really that big a waste. Um, OK, let's talk about technique chaining. We mentioned this briefly, right. but a lot of the time you got to kind of wear down someone if they have really, really good alignment. There won't be an obvious attack. So very often I find anyway that a single attack doesn't work very well. You often have to have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. And in fact, this is the way a lot of instructors teach, right? Is when they they have a class, they usually have a plan where they show you three different moves or whatever that chain off of each other. Um, The reality is that a lot of the time the first attack isn't going to work. So the question is when the first attack doesn't work, do you know what to do in all of the other scenarios so that you can fluidly move on to another attack? And the reason this is important is because 
every time you attempt an attack, even if it fails, it breaks your opponent's alignment just a little bit. And then when you do another attack, just a little bit more. And the first attack might not work, the second, the third, the fourth, but maybe the fifth one will. And this is why a lot of the time when you see two experienced grapplers fight, it's not like someone just whips an armbar out of nowhere and then it's done. There's a very fluid exchange of constant motion and transitions. It might look that way to the naked eye, or the untrained eye, I should say. You're you're, you're definitely right about that. And, um, you know, basically what we're talking about is cornering somebody mm-hmm. or funneling and funneling an attack sequence into, you know, uh, several options that, you know, you're going to be happy with, but you're kind of playing with your partner and, and, and cornering them to the point where they can't defend any longer. And it's really important to also remember that during this process, you can't, or you shouldn't break your own alignment because mm-hmm. doing so would mean maybe you get swept, maybe you lose the position altogether. Yeah, maybe you, you lose a lever. Right. Common mistake is that you never, you never want to sacrifice your own alignment. So whatever you're trying to do, you need to make sure that you preserve your alignment while you're doing it. Sometimes people get greedy, and we we did a whole episode on this, right? They get greedy, they think they see an opportunity, so they sacrifice their alignment to try to take the opportunity. I mean, I can tell you that most of the time when I get tapped out embarrassingly, it's because I was winning, and then I thought I saw an opportunity, and I just didn't take my opponent seriously enough, and I thought, I can get away with this. And then I left, you know, I left space, or I I tried to skip a step, I tried, you know, I, I let a grip go prematurely, and that's when I I was made to pay for it, right? Yeah. Uh, that's why it is so important to make sure that you prioritize your own alignment over everything else. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, another another thing too that is also critical for really almost any martial art is kazushi. Uh, we again it's something that we've talked about very very heavily, but basically this is the Japanese art of balance breaking. Right, it's foundational for things like judo. It is almost impossible to hit a judo throw on someone unless you have previously established kazushi, which means you've gotten them moving, you've taken them temporarily off balance, and then there's a moment to strike. But kazushi also does apply on the ground. I mean, it, it is, oh, is not. Sure as critical as when you're standing because judo is just so much based on momentum and timing but if you can constantly keep your opponent off balanced on the ground it makes it much easier to advance position so matt you previously given the example of forcing your opponent to post that's usually one of the best Mm. indications that you have achieved kazushi when you're fighting on the ground is if you force your opponent to post with their hand their hand their leg even their head (laughs) then that usually means you have off balanced them temporarily and that is the time to immediately launch a follow-up attack yeah or even just force them to do uh any reaction like even if you're snapping them down and they posture you can go for Mm. a bump sweep from the close guard you know it doesn't they don't necessarily need to post but i think definitely the strongest forms of kazushi will force posting or what danner calls limb extension Mm -hmm. and in doing so you you usually create lever control and then from there you can use that lever control you can sweep get dominant angles get the inside channel a whole world opens up where before you were fighting a strong structure that seems immovable now creating kazushi you get lots of options Mm -hmm. so yeah finding out how you can basically take the human body and create vulnerability and movement i think is a really important part of creating opportunities yeah just a constant establishment of push pull motions to keep your opponent off guard helps a lot 
a mistake that I've made in the past is I'll, I just try to like do moves. You know, if I want to do an armbar, I'll just go for it. But if the guy is primed there and ready to fight and he can base, it's very challenging to do that. But if yeah. you get him moving a little bit first, yes. then it's much harder for them to keep their base and to retract that arm. So I would suggest that if you're if there's a move that you want to do, but you often find when you're trying to do it, like it's just like hitting a rock wall. The other guy is not moving the way that you need him to move. See if maybe before you do it, there's an extra step you can add that wobbles your opponent just a little bit. And that might help a lot in terms of the success rate of that move. Right. Now, without discussing alpha aura, we should talk about creating opportunities in real life. Well, what opportunities can you create without being alpha? Really? I I mean, I know being alpha is the foundation of all opportunity (laughs) creation. No, that's a good point. Actually. Like if you're, you know, you're, you're trying to advance your career Mm -hmm. or maybe you want a career switch, right? Like, uh, sitting, basically falling into a routine, which as I think humans, we are creatures of habit and routine. Mm -hmm. It's, we tend to seek routine, even when it isn't in our best interests to be that comfortable. Yeah. We, we, we seek comfort. We, we want to be as, uh, comfortable as possible. And a lot of the time that can prevent you from, you know, opportunity and risk, but you know, in, in at least in my cooking career, I mean, even in my jujitsu career, I've never gained anything by not risking something. Mm-hmm. Now, did I do a risk versus reward assessment like we talked about in the last episode before every decision? Of course, I you I would never recommend running blindly into something. Um, you know, uh, sometimes sometimes you're forced into opportunities. I can remember mm-hmm. one time I was I was working at a local pub and I actually got fired. <laughs> it was the best thing that ever happened to me because. Then I started working in hotels and then I did my apprenticeship. And Is it because you got jumped by two guys and you beat them up single-handedly and then escorted your wife out of there? No, we, oh. were, we were smoking weed on shit. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, it's it's effectively the same thing. Yeah, basically. But actually, it was like one of the greatest things that happened to me because it, mm. it actually, it would have been more time wasted at that place when I could have been working in hotels and working towards my apprenticeship and yada, 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 had a career change, right? Like, and, and another thing I was, I was becoming, you know, when I was a purple belt, I was starting to realize, Hey, I really enjoy teaching jujitsu. My goal before was teaching culinary arts. And, um, I was thinking, Hey, maybe I should think about having a school because I don't think I'm going to be able to pay the bills being a professional competitor. That seems like a goal that's very reserved for the most elite of elite. Plus, even for them, I think it's going to be difficult to generate a reasonable revenue, right? Um, I don't know. I heard Gordon Ryan is like a multimillionaire, at least according to his like his he's Instagram. He's also the greatest of all time. No <laughs> uh, I'd love to see him fight Hodger, actually. That would be... Have fun. they never fought? No. I mean, Hodger's way older, right? Uh. But, you know, I, talking about the goat versus the goat, right? So, uh, but anyways, back to... Uh, or, uh, what were we talking about again? Oh yeah, you're talking yeah, about yeah. opportunities so, 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 in real life, right? So, so you know, being stuck in my job at the hotel, which was granted pretty good for a life of a cook. It's like at one point I had to jump off and actually say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a business plan and I'm actually going to take the risk of opening a school. And however small that starts off, you know, however I got to do it, I got to, I got to do something now because if I don't, basically I looked at it like a, like a three or a five year plan. If I don't plant the seed now, then I'm going to wake up 10 years from now doing this job and being like, fuck, why didn't I start this? Why didn't I start a gym? Like Mm -hmm. what, what was stopping me? And I think honestly, a lot of the time I'm motivated by regret. 
mm-hmm. you know, I, I think about the idea of regret, you know, and, and that's what motivates me a lot. So, and it could be a great motivator thinking about, you know, vis- envisioning yourself in a decade or two decades or even longer and looking back and be like, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I try harder? Why didn't I, even if I failed, why didn't I try it and fail and know that I, I gave it my all, right? And a lot of the time, it's amazing what you can do. If you have, you know, a decent resource base and you have a good network and support, like I had Mike Lee, who's my business partner. And luckily enough with him, he was like, hey, I'll help you. I'll help you open a school. I'll help you teach classes. I'll, you know, I'll give you advice and stuff. And like, I wouldn't have had my gym without that guy. So, you know, for all of you guys that are thinking about things like career changes and maybe you have a, maybe you really want that promotion or maybe you, maybe you think you want the promotion, but in reality, it's not the best fit for your lifestyle. You know, you really got to weigh the risk first reward. And at some point you will have to jump off and it's a scary thing, but like, you know, I think I think living with regret is far worse than trying something and failing. Just my opinion. Yeah, some people get very kind of like myopic because you've been doing the same routine for so long over and over and over again that your mind kind of closes off to the fact that your life could be different. Um, that's, I think a very common thing. And that's when you get into the situation where people say, man, you know, I regret the last 10 years of my life. I wish I'd done this sooner. And I think everyone has those things in their life that they just think, man, why didn't I do this sooner? Yeah. Um, it's unfortunately, sometimes you don't see these blind spots around you because you're so used to being in your routine. And sometimes the world makes the decision for you. Like in the cases you've described, you're forced out of your comfort zone. Um, and a lot of the time too, it's not even that you were in your comfort zone. It's just, you didn't realize that there was another way. Uh, I mean, I know a lot of people are terrified of starting their own business. They're just absolutely mortified it, it, to the point where, and rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah. But like to the point where they don't even see it as a possibility. That's as yeah. something that could be done. Like, it's like, it's not even, it's not that the door is hard to get through is that they don't even see the door at all. They don't even think about it. And that's kind of the risk of being myopic with your own life. Um, I always encourage people to question the assumptions about the way that they live and if there's anything that they could do differently or any other opportunities that they're, they're leaving behind. And to your point earlier, yeah, you always want to think about everything in the context of return on investment. If I put something into this now, what will come of it later? Mm-hmm. Um, that's really just a good practice for any decision that you make. And if you're in a spot in your life where you're not happy with your relationship or your career or what have you, it's always worth asking yourself, just sit down and say like, look, what is wrong with the situation I'm in right now? What do I stand to gain if I change it? What would I have to risk to change it? And what are the options to change it? So a a lot of our listeners, they write in and they ask us questions about changing gyms. Like I get this all the time where people have emailed us and basically they describe some horrendous situation in their gym. And it's pretty clear that they've kind of already come to the conclusion that they need to leave, but they just just need to push off the cliff. Like the reality is there's a lot of shitty jujitsu gyms out there. And even if the gym isn't shitty, sometimes it's just not the right fit for you. But people are used to what they're used to what they're used to. You know, you get stuck in this routine and you need to kind of overcome the inertia of change. Change is painful. And sometimes you need to really think things through to understand that, hey, the the suffering that I'll have to go through to change my situation is dramatically outweighed by the benefit to doing so. Exactly. Yeah. You're describing my career s- switch yeah. to a T. I would suggest that even if you love your job and you think it's really great, you spend at least once a year, you sit down and really think about, could I do better? 
you know, and by that, I don't necessarily mean like I want more money. I mean, everyone wants more money or I I want a promotion. Everyone wants a promotion, but just like holistically, where do I really want to go? And what are the options that I have and what options can I create? I mean, we benefit from living in a country where it is super, super easy to just go off and create your own business. I mean, yeah, it might fail, but like the risk to failure is pretty minimal. We're protected by some pretty strong bankruptcy law, right? There are countries where if you create a business and you fail, people will come and cut off your fingers and kill your relatives, right? Like we, we live in a pretty good place when it comes to entrepreneurship and doing your own thing and striking off on your own is not nearly as scary as one probably thinks that it is. So But that said, again, like you mentioned, I wouldn't suggest you just drop everything and do it right now. I would suggest that you sit down and create a reasoned risk versus reward plan. Like, what do I have to do to make something happen? And what would I gain in return for doing that? And what is the likelihood of things going the way that I want? Always a good practice. Like sometimes going going into an opportunity is the wrong move. Mm -hmm. When I was when I was cooking, I I basically worked my way up to first cook, which is right underneath like management almost or supervision. And I realized like, if I give this up, I'm going to get like maybe two bucks more an hour or mm-hmm. not even. And I'm going to have way more stress, way more responsibility. I'm not going to have the same hours. So there goes my jujitsu training. Um, and you know, if, if I go any higher than that, I basically have to give my entire lifestyle up mm-hmm. all to sacrifice just for a promotion. So sometimes yeah. like, these things where you're moving ahead in your career don't necessarily fit your lifestyle. And that's where I think risk versus reward is super important. You got to look at yourself and sort of like write down on a piece of paper, like, Hey, what are the currencies in my life that I want? There's health, there's free time, there's family time, there's money, you know, there's possessions, there's there's alpha dog status. Yeah. Well, that's, I'm just assuming you're alpha. If this is how you think. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're not, if you're not alpha, then this conversation is not for you. All you betas can go like, listen to Matt burn or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. First, you're making fun of hangers, broken neck. Now yeah. We, about we've it. made fun of hanger. We've made fun of Matt burn. We've made fun of Ari. Just I actually haven't up. seen any Mapburn podcasts released. Maybe they're not on YouTube anymore. Maybe, maybe. we finally just demolished them. No, They've I tapped from it. embarrassment. I don't think so. No, I, I don't I think, think so either. Well. Probably they're just busy with some like crazy world-class competition thing yeah. or making another lapel encyclopedia. Or Too busy knows. meddling in ADCC, those bastards. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, you know, sometimes sometimes the the risk-first reward and your your uh if you assess what's valuable to you in life you'll realize hey these opportunities aren't really opportunities they're actually they're obstacles traps. Yeah, yeah they're obstacles that are preventing me from from what i really want maybe what you really want is like more family time or you want to you want to have kids or you want to have more time to do jujitsu right in my case those were the things and i knew that if i followed a career in culinary arts as much as I enjoyed it and I was good at it, it's just not, it just doesn't make sense. And because there's not a lot of money in it, it just made it super easy for mm-hmm. me to take a risk, right? And you also have to think about the long term too. It's not just about the reward that's put in front of you right now. It's where is the long road going to take me to? So like an example, you know, if if you want to quit your job and go to a different job because maybe there's more money or they're offering you a promotion. One of the things you also have to think about is what is my ceiling 
at this new company, right? Yeah. Because yeah, maybe they give you a slight pay raise or maybe they give you a slightly better title, but is there any way for you to get promoted even further at that company? Or are you going to wind up in a situation there where they just don't take you seriously enough to promote you, right? Different companies value different things. So what you don't want to do is get into a job where the company is comfortable with where you are. And this is something that people often completely fail to understand. When you are an employee, you're always thinking, I want a promotion. I want a promotion. I want a promotion. And you go and you bitch to your manager and you make the case. But at the end of the day, the company might want to keep you where you are, right? Maybe they think you're good in that role. Maybe they don't need a, whatever the next level above is. So they don't want to create a new position just for you. So why, you know, it's in their best interest to just push you down and keep you there. Do you want to take a job where there's no future, where, there, where you go in and you get hired and that's immediately your ceiling? Yeah. So this is something you need to understand too when you're looking at like a job or a house or anything like that. Not just what is my immediate benefit to doing this, but also what is the, the path ahead? Like what is the progression path? If you And I suggest if anyone is interviewing for a job like this where this is a concern for you, you know, don't just ask like what is the title, what is the pay, but ask what is your promotion strategy? What is the next level? Realistically, do you honestly think I can ever get there? Like if you want to, if you want to be a manager, you have to make sure that the company that you go and work for has a path for you to get there and they are willing to take you seriously in that role and they have a need for that role. So a mistake that a lot of people make, I think, is they just ram their heads into the wall and they keep begging and begging and asking and complaining about this opportunity, but they're in a situation where they're never going to get it. And in that, that's when you need to quit and go and look somewhere else for that opportunity or start your own thing. Yeah, I think... I think, um, like I'm, I'm one of the, can I say rare people who's an entrepreneur? I think, is that a fair statement that it's most pretty people, rare. Most, most, most people, people are not work for a corporation or yeah. a, a business and less people have their own business. That'd mm-hmm. be a fair statement. I definitely guess. like, I'll say this. I never expected to have my own business. And now that I have it, it's like a world, it's basically a world of freedom. It's, it's incredible. And it's, it's a freedom. It's basically a a lifestyle that no amount of money could ever be worth. And in my opinion, like, like if I was a, it is the alpha dog lifestyle. That's right. Like if I was a CEO (laughs) making, you know, 300,000 a year, as sweet as that would be, it's like, well, I still got to be at work nine hours a day or Mm -hmm. eight hours or even more, you know, like, can I really put a price on the family time that I have, the exercise that I get, the freedom to run the business the way that I want. So, you know, we talk, it fits so well into the idea of creating opportunities because that is essentially what starting a business is. You're creating your own opportunities. And as long as you have, like I said, a good network around you of support and you have skills and you have passion and you're driven by passion and excellence rather than necessarily chasing the dollar, I think it's a good formula to be successful. Yeah. Something to bear in mind is that as a man, you have instinctive reactions passed down through countless generations designed to keep you and your loved ones alive. Yet in the modern (laughs) world, it's quietly stripped away all of these precious skills (laughs) that, that already exist deep in your subconscious. Society has pressured you to back down, act meek and turn the other cheek. It has stripped you of your right to move through the world with confidence and self assuredness. 
This was written by a gamma. This, yeah, this, this is just a lovely, lovely website. This is how weak you are. You need this. Yeah, you little incel bitch. Yeah, you need yeah, this. Yeah, you <laughs> this is actually a common manipulative tactic that a lot, of, like a lot of cults and these bad marketing companies use, is they try to like beat you down first so that then they can build you back up, or they try to create a problem so that then they can be, offer to be the solution to it. So. Yeah. Anyway, apparently all you need is washboard abs and seven deadly te- 17 deadly techniques. Sorry, I don't want to undersell this amazing program. 17? There's exactly 17 deadly techniques, <laughs> and, and that's all no you need more. to know. That's all you need to know. Everything else is, is just fagazi. You just need... The 17 simple combative moves are all you need to defend you and yours. That's it. So, anyway, I'm done reading this stupid thing. It's pretty awesome. It, it is actually pretty great. You want to just cap this thing up? Do we have any questions? I do. So first, let's maybe recap what we talked about today. We talked about dictating the pace. Uh, Dictating the pace is so important if you want to create opportunities because it's hard to create an opportunity if you're the one on the defense. We talked about dominant angles, a good strategy if you need to create an opportunity on someone who isn't giving you something readily. If you can get around them, above them, below them, makes it very, very easy. Inside them. Oh God, inside them. Makes it relatively easy anyway to, uh, to create an opportunity. We talked about defending with purpose meaning when you're you're on the defense you don't want to just shell up and sit there or as rob would say take your ball and go home everything you do should be with the intent of progressing and escaping to a better position we talked about win conditions a lot of the time you can create an opportunity just by looking at the rules figuring out what you are actually allowed to do that no one knows you are allowed to do right that's a great way to actually create an opportunity because you can catch people off guard while still playing within the rules of the game we talked about masking your intentions if it's too obvious what you're trying to do then your opponent can defend it before you even start we talked about predictable responses Sometimes the first attack doesn't work the way that you want, but if you know what your opponent is likely to do afterwards, you can queue up the response right away. Uh, That's a good way to create a predictable opportunity out of your opponent. We talked about a dilemma um, that was invented by John Danaher, never existed before him. Basically, it means you give someone two choices, both of which are bad, and they have to choose one. We talked about myopia, which just means you have blinders, basically. You're stuck focusing on one particular thing to the exclusion of all other possibilities. We talked about technique chaining, the concept that the first technique may not work, but if you continue to layer on more attacks, each one will progressively break your opponent's alignment more and more. And one of the best ways to create opportunities is through continuing to attack your opponent rather than just doing single attacks in isolation. We talked about Kazushi. Basically, if you break your opponent's balance, that's going to create an opportunity every time. And we talked about return on investment, the idea that you want to do a risk versus reward analysis on pretty much everything that you do in life, especially in jujitsu in this case. So we have actually a really good question, series of questions that are related to return on investment. Let's give this one a go. I think you'll like this one. It might make you cringe a bit. Oh, God. Yeah. I discovered your podcast in December and have been trying to binge listen as much as possible, but so far I'm only up to episode 19. So this person is going to have quite a ways to go before they actually hear this answer. <laughs> I am loving the podcast. <laughs> That's a good point. I am loving. I already uh, responded to this person, so they, they know what I'm going to say here. Uh, I am loving the podcast and I'm happy to have found a podcast on BJJ Mindset. Episode 19 
injuries and setbacks really spoke to me and it's something I'm going through right now. I was hoping to get your perspective on my situation. I have a few questions at the end. In November 2018, I was diagnosed with an eye disease in both eyes after the doctor discovered a retinal tear. This disease increases risk of retina detachment and the doctor obviously didn't recommend I continue with BJJ or any contact sports as head impact needs to be avoided. During this time, I was also promoted to blue belt after two years of training. I was devastated and didn't know if I could practice BJJ again. With the help of my coach, who I do private sessions with, I decided that I'd get headgear and goggles. This person sounds like me. I have a student that wore goggles. Yeah, I, I've actually trained with a, a lot of people who wear goggles. Um, this kind of We'll get to this at the end and we'll, we'll explain, but this kind of thing is not that uncommon. I decided that I'd get headgear and goggles and focus on technique and work towards doing drilling and flow rolling. I still wanted BJJ in my life and I wanted to see if I could practice in while mitigating risk. It's definitely been challenging and frustrating. And as you mentioned in the podcast episode, there is a lot of ego and mental blocks to overcome. It was worth it though, because I could practice and be part of the community community. Things were going great, so my coach asked if I was comfortable trying drilling and sparring with a bit more intent and intensity. I felt comfortable and wanted to try, as I had been doing light sparring using as little strength or force as possible to keep the intensity of the roll down, and found my techniques weren't effective. Last week, one of our sessions, or during one of our sessions, um, he accidentally heel kicked me in the face hard. I had to get my eyes checked out, so waiting for that was pretty stressful. Thankfully, everything is all right. I knew that practicing BJJ would still have some risks as it's a contact sport, but that it happened during drilling with an advanced belt kind of shook me up. I am in my mid-40s and do BJJ for fun, fitness, self-defense, and community. I think of Kautera's famous quote, it's not how good your jiu-jitsu is, but how good jiu-jitsu is for you. And I remember why I still want to do this. I still want BJJ in my life, but health always comes first. For now, I have decided to try again. I know I am comfortable doing technique and BJJ mobility and conditioning. It's still not sure about drilling, and I don't know if I'll ever be comfortable sparring anymore. I'm also not sure about going to class. My questions to you are, number one, can I still learn and grow in understanding posture, structure, base without sparring or with more intense drilling? According to Reddit, this God, according to Reddit, never listen to Reddit. Uh, most people say it's a waste of time to learn technique without sparring or a resisting opponent. The dominant belief seems to be without sparring, BJJ isn't real or BJJ is not worth the time. So Matt, what do you think of this? So the question basically is, can I still learn and grow in understanding posture, structure, and base without sparring or more intense drilling? Yeah, I think so. Um, but that is a crucial piece of your training. Like the live, the live reality of, of grappling training is what kind of sets it apart from the traditional martial arts or the kata based martial arts, right? So Will an element be missing from the training? Yeah, for sure. But that doesn't mean you can't demonstrate posture structure base. It doesn't mean you can't improve or learn techniques or advance your game or your knowledge. Um, it just means that it will be a, uh, you know, a, a slightly, I don't want to say reduced. I think it's fair slightly. to say that. Like if you, if you want to be honest, um, if you want to be honest, we've always said that the best training comes from resistance. And that's the reason why jujitsu is so effective is because unlike a lot of martial arts, you encounter realistic resistance. 
the reality is, of course, if you're not going in there and sparring realistically, yeah, the value that you get is going to be a bit reduced and you're going to probably progress a little bit slower. But that does not at all mean that you shouldn't do it. I mean, you'll still get some value out of it, right? It's not that you'll get nothing out of it at all. And I definitely would not listen to these people on Reddit who talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah, I definitely mean, don't do that. Yeah, the, the, you know, the, I don't know how true this is, but they always say that like Helio Gracie basically trained until he died, right? At like 95 or whatever. And I can assure you that at 95, Helio Gracie was not in there like doing like five minutes to the death sessions with the students the reality is when you're younger this kind of stuff about like rolling light it it weighs heavily on you because you want that intensity but even for the best most world-class competitors age catches up to you eventually there is going to be a time when you're going to have to turn the dial down on the intensity of your sparring i don't care who you are like hicks and gracie right now i am sure that he does not go in there and try to kill himself every single day right Mm -hmm. age injuries eventually catch up with you and as you get older it gets to the point where jujitsu becomes more about how it can benefit your life in other ways versus just winning on the mat right so I think you'll absolutely still get some value out of it. I, I definitely do. I think there's no problem with that. And there's no problem with managing expectations with both yourself and your partner. I mean, everyone has to come to a conclusion personally about what they want out of jujitsu. And not everyone wants big, hard, competitive roles. And you, pretty much everyone who, who does jujitsu, even the people who do it very casually, they'll tell you about how much value they've got out of it. So I think it's totally fine if you don't want super, super intense drills or super intense roles, especially given what you've brought up above, right? Given risk versus reward, losing your eyesight is a pretty big risk. And if you can still get the enjoyment out of jujitsu by not having that risk and not rolling intensely, I think probably that's a good decision for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Eventually, if you are, you know, you dedicate enough time, you get good enough and knowledgeable enough, you could take a coaching role. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to say that, you know, passing jujitsu on to people is just as rewarding, if not more rewarding than winning competitions. And oddly, it also makes your jujitsu a lot better, which is something that probably we should talk about at some point in the future. Like the, the one thing that really surprised me as I started to take a more uh, prominent coaching role was that you actually learn a lot by coaching other people. It's really interesting. Would that be an example of interleaving or is that something else? Yeah, I'm not really sure what you'd call it. Uh, I mean, it's almost like there's like this inflection point when you're, when you're growing <laughs> there, there comes to a point in almost anything where there's only so much growth you can do personally. And then it becomes more about giving back and training the next generation. I mean, it sounds all hokey, but I've personally found that by teaching people, it has dramatically improved my knowledge and my ability within jujitsu just because I'm forced to think through things that I had previously held as assumptions. So I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, there, there's, there's something about that, that like inflection point when it comes to growth, where it suddenly becomes more valuable to help people than to, to be selfish on it. It's a, a weird thing. Uh, but yeah, I think that you can definitely still continue to train with low intensity, and I think you will get value out of it. So the second question, if I did just technique and potentially lighter drilling, how should I set my expectations? E.g., I should expect fun and fitness, but not much growth or progression. I think you should still expect that you'll grow and progress. I mean, maybe not as fast as if you went in there and just killed yourself every day, but there's levels and there's scales, right? I mean, I roll pretty intensely when I train, and I train maybe like three, four times a week. 
to some people that might seem like a lot to some people that's a joke that's nothing right it totally depends on what you want i mean even in in my situation there's people like matt who train like six hours a day right i mean it's just a completely different scale and everyone's going to get value out of it um i mean of course you know you'll never be able to go in there with like gordon ryan and kick his ass but is that really your goal in jiu-jitsu probably not i think ari could Ari could go in there with, well, yeah, that's because Ari's got the seven deadly techniques on the side. 17. Se- sorry, 17. Oh, oh man, yes. I'm going to get sued. And Gordon Ryan uh, presumably has no deadly techniques. So, yeah. I mean, he's got arm bars and stuff. Ari's going to sue us, not because we made fun of everything <laughs> he stands for. But because we, we, we misrepresented the number of deadly techniques he is, he is demonstrating here. Yeah. And to this person, uh, to add on, definitely be selective of your training partners. There's nothing wrong with being very selective and rolling with people who are very controlled, not as, not as much bigger than you, people you trust, right? Yeah. And that actually ties into their third question here, which is if I did go to class, do you have any advice on participating? I would like to go and do technique, but I feel bad for the person who is my partner because I can't participate in some techniques, drills, and sparring. So first and foremost, don't feel bad about that at all. Like it is, always a good idea to tell your training partner what you want out of the role in fact i suggest that for everybody like never assume that you know what the other person wants during training i was sparring with a purple belt today and he told me he wanted 70 percent resistance flow rolling only with no submissions for four minutes and i was like holy shit that is very specific (laughs) but but like spazzed out (laughs) but yeah it's it's very important to align with your partner on expectations and like even like the even world-class athletes will do this if they're like rehabbing from an injury i mean remember we talked to oliver taza and he was talking about how like when when he was rehabbing his knee he was definitely setting expectations for his training partners and making sure he didn't go beyond what he was comfortable with this happens to everyone at different times and just to different levels so always always even if you know this is not a concern for you um this particular situation if you have any injuries always disclose them to your partner and tell them what to avoid yeah and i think target sparring would be a good Mm -hmm. you know you could probably train safer if you target spar you know close the gaps of what's readily available for each person and focus on specific scenarios i think that's going to I mean, I would think that that would make things safer or more controlled. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And you can also, you can also, when you get into this point, like if there's, if there's limitations to what your body can handle at that point, it's okay. I think to critically start looking at the various techniques and strategies and tactics and remove the ones that might be too risky for you. Like I would say, look at every single technique and you might want to do this with the help of a senior belt who can really think this through look through every different technique and strategy and identify which one of which ones of these are too risky given your injury so for example if i were you i would never do a single leg or a double leg takedown just because i was gonna say don't wrestle yeah because you're gonna get collar tied hard yeah well just just the act of rushing in head first with momentum eventually you're gonna get clobbered in the eye it's just gonna happen whereas if you play something like delaheva guard will probably almost never happen because you're leading with your legs and your head is far away so just something to bear in mind i mean that you'll have to adapt your game for sure but Everyone has that after a bad injury. You have to adapt your game to make jujitsu safer for yourself. Um, and I, yeah, I would again say that any technique that involves leading with your head or putting your head within striking range, you want to avoid. The good news is there are myriad techniques and strategies that do not require you to do this. So I, I'd suggest maybe sitting down with a senior person, maybe your instructor, and just game planning and going through these techniques and figuring out which ones you think would be safest. Mm-hmm. generally anything where you get your head grabbed or you're within mm-hmm. range of 
getting your head accessed as a lever, try and avoid try and manage the distance so that it doesn't get to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I personally have adapted my game very heavily in this way. I don't like people to get too close to my head because I just have way too much alpha dog testosterone and they might start kissing me, right? So (laughs) I've got to keep these people at a distance. Uh, Now, no, but realistically, I mean, I got to go to like an office the next day and I don't want to show up with a black eye. So a lot of this stuff I don't do either. Like I don't double leg. If I, I only do very select types of single legs just because I don't want to like get busted up that badly it just isn't worth it for me when i'm only training casually and i've like i can tell you i never well i don't want to say never but i rarely get hit in the head because i just don't put my head in the range for that kind of attack i get hit in the head yeah i know that's why you look the way you do yeah i get hit quite often (laughs) actually and i would i would also say too that um yeah the goggle thing is not weird at all i've sparred with several people who've had uh retinal issues usually it's related to retinal detachment concerns like with you and they often wear goggles or some sort of protective face wear Uh, the problem with goggles is it's hard to find a good pair that actually cover your eyes properly and stay on um so i would say in addition to the goggles one of the most important things is just keeping your head out of range because if someone whacks you hard enough in the face, the goggles might not be enough protective material. The goggles do nothing. <laughs> yeah, basically. Just remember. All right. So the Simpsons reference for those who got to have our, our weekly Simpsons reference. Yeah. Okay. So I hope this was useful for you guys. Um, as always, you know, we're sponsored by alphanation.com slash first strike, <laughs> where you can go to learn more about how you're, you're lacking an alpha dog machismo. If you want to pick up, I don't think it actually specifies if it's, you know, if I guess presumably this works on anyone who's into alpha dog, but if you want to, I don't know, learn these like 17 deadly techniques and like have all of the women love you and fight off ISIS terrorists and have six pack abs, it seems like this program is the place to go. So anyway, yeah. It's what the Hong Kong samurai. <laughs> you got You got to go take a look at this page. Like seriously, it's amazing. Some of the stuff they've thrown together on here. Um, but no, seriously, it's if really you, creative writing. It, it actually is. I mean, it's not like a grade four <laughs> level, but it is relatively <laughs> creative. Uh, if you want to actually get useful information, you can go to bjjmentalmodels.com where we've got our database of concepts. We have a, a lot more information on the mental models we discuss here on the show. You can go to bjjmentalmodels.com slash store. You can pick up gee patches and t-shirts that directly support the show you can go to bjjmentalmodels.com slash join if you do that you can join our mailing list and we'll send more detailed uh, information in conjunction with the episodes here and if you want to see where we're up to or just get in touch with us you can go to our facebook or instagram pages and from there you can again just like see our garbage posts and reach out to us and ask us your questions you can also contact us via the website too there's a contact form there as well well matt time to go home go to sleep Great discussion. Absolutely. I'm not going to be able to sleep. <clears throat> You're going to be up all night reading this, yeah. <laughs> this first strike site. It's going to take you all night because that thing is gigantic. Anyway, yeah, if you are if you are a user of Alpha Strike or First Strike or this thing, do reach out. I'm actually really curious to know um, how badly you were deceived. Anyway, yeah. talk to you next time, guys. All right, see you guys.